So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. I want to give a really big thank you to Wild Earth Australia because I'm just so stoked to be a part of their team. Through them, I get to meet the most amazing adventurers because as a company, they are really supporting people that are just getting out there and giving life a really good crack. They're just such a good company that truly believes in the adventurous lifestyle. So a big thank you to them. Now, if you need any gear for your next adventure, running, hiking, camping, climbing, survival, you name it, there you have it. So go to the website, wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code, Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. Free shipping Australia-wide, they even ship internationally. So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. We're back on the Adventure Tales and I have some insane episodes coming up. I said at the start of the last episode that one of the best episodes I've ever done is coming out next week where I get inside of the head of a guy that doesn't seem to fear. Shane Ackerman, the big wave hell man, opens up and tells all. And it's all just so interesting finding out what goes on inside a guy's head who pushes himself over the edge of giant 30-foot waves without jet ski assists or flotation devices. And his horror stories of when it goes wrong, it's just next level. So that's coming out next week, guys. So be excited for that one. Now, this is another great episode. This guy is just such a top bloke that you're about to meet, George Chapman, a true Aussie with a great heart, but the poor bloke had a hectic ordeal traveling through the center of Africa, and I just felt so sorry for the bloke, but just, yeah, enjoy this one, guys, and I'll see you next week. So, so, Georgie boy, has anyone actually called you Georgie boy? Um... Probably I, <laughs> <laughs> not a common thing to actually well, have. Yeah, like I said, I got a, a twin brother. So, as growing up, my, my name was just Chapo. Oh, because that's the last name. Wait, okay, being an identical twin, George, what's your brother's name? Charlie. Charlie. So, <laughs> if you got named, so George Chapman, your last name then Chapo, short yeah, to yeah, Chapo, yeah. does that mean your brother was also Chapo? Yeah, we're just Chapo, like forever just Chapo playing footy it's just the both of you yeah it was just Chapo yeah so and some rugby coaches and all that were like they just call us Charlie George like I didn't actually get called George ever so you're just always the one person I was always Chapo yeah so are you guys like that identical that it was hard uh, for people to it's funny because a lot of people can either get us straight away or not at all yeah like some of my best mates can um there they always know yeah but then um, some people just that shit at it. Yeah. yeah, I feel so bad. Actually, some of my neighbours, they've got two identical twin sons, mm. and I still can't tell them apart. And I feel so bad because one's got a mole, but I can never remember which one mm. has the mole. And so I always feel so bad. And, like, I try and, like, I will be talking to them, hanging out with them, and I try and, like, trick them into telling me their names. You yeah. know, be like, don't do that to your brother who is. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know what well, I mean? I'm the unlucky one because um, if people are always asking like how the how do you tell yourselves apart, I'm pretty sure that's a common question for twins. I always I've got bigger ears, like legit, my ears are bigger. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you meet people, like you see them just staring at your ears, like trying to like sum them up, you're like looking. At... <laughs> hey, dude. Anyway, stoked for you to come down. I'm actually so. This is what I love about the podcast is that people reach out to me that have amazing mm. story or things have happened to them and I get to come down like this right now we're sitting down by Lake Ainsworth in Lennox Head we've gone for a swim we've had a couple of beers we've just hung out and now we get get to sit back 
for my pleasure and also the listener's pleasure to hear a cool story. Now, what trips me out is that this story... Okay, so you're, you're an Australian, obviously, like your accent, but you've grown up what um, at Korokai? Yeah. Kobakai. Korakai. Korakai. Yeah, Karaki. Yeah. Karaki. So you've grown up south of Lismore on a farm. And what trips me out is that, is that this story is all based over in Africa. Mm. How did you... That's, yeah, that's a bit of a story in itself. My old man went over there with a group from Byron Bay called African Leaf. So they were doing a charity stuff with a school outside of Nairobi. So he went over there first time in... Um, Oh, it would have been about 2006, I think, or 2005. And he did a trip over there with them. And then he went back again a year or two later. And they were looking at this property to um, buy for the school. For the yeah, There's a school there. It's like one of those Steiner schools. I think it's linked to the, yeah, the group in Byron Bay. And he, anyway, they were looking at the property and they, they didn't end up buying it for, the, for African Leaf. So he just thought it was too good and he... For it to pass up, so he's yeah, like, that's it, I'm he jumped on it. <laughs> yeah. I remember he came back, he flew back into Ballina here, and we picked him up from the airport. And um, we took, we went out for lunch. I, I was a young, pretty young then, like probably 12, and he's just told us, like, we bought a, I brought a, far, oh, a small block on the edge of a national park in Kenya. And, I mean, I just didn't, where's the fuck's Kenya? Yeah. <laughs> I'd never, you know, I just, Africa. Did yeah, he the start to- of an epic epic journey so did he plan to like move the family there i just these are the questions i need to ask him you know i think he like he's been a farmer his whole life and just like saw an opportunity and jumped on it he didn't even know what he wanted to do with the the property but then it was an old worn down um they're all these old because it's the english settled in kenya as well they colonized kenya in um oh the history 1788. Ooh, good oh, no, sorry, that's that's the first fleet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with it. Anyway, no, 1970 or 68, sorry. Oh, really? Was, um, yeah, but um, so there's all these old colonial-type buildings and they've done them up and turned it into a bit of a lodge. Yeah. Yeah, so right. So doing a bit of tourism and stuff like that there. Yeah. So when did your dad, so he's bought the property, when did he actually decide to move there? God... Uh, 2009, I think, was the year that they decided to like open the lodge as a business, uh, start to really yeah. kick things off. So how um, old were you then? My first trip was in 2007, so I would have been like 13 or 14. So, yeah, it's, it got, was lucky to get exposed to that side of the world and at a young age was unreal yeah especially a boy from like sort of kind of like country new south wales suddenly in kenya mm. yeah i mean dad had done a bit of traveling like, earlier on um so i knew a bit about the world and stuff like that and i'd done a bit of traveling since i was young um but the fact that they'd kind of like lifted our lives up and gone over into kenya and uh yeah and at a young age you're sort of getting used to africa it's it was unreal yeah and my brothers yeah i've got two brothers but one of them's gone and learned swahili now so he can speak swahili. With, with all the people yeah it's the east african language it's quite a beautiful language yeah so d- did you end up living there as a family or did you just do trips uh well i went through school and just went back there every year in the holidays so the idea was they put in um managers to run the place 
And because they didn't want to uproot our whole lives, we've still got our farm back here. And we're in boarding school, so they just left us. <laughs> oh, <kids>. really? Those <laughs> dogs. <laughs> But what, um, what smart parents are like? Hey, we can still adventure and like go do all these things around the yeah, world. They got put our kids in boarding quickly. school. Yeah. I, for me, boarding school was just got threatened to me all the time. Every time like I got was in trouble or like got grounded, I just always got threatened that I'll get sent to boarding school. It's like the best thing ever. I reckon. Really, yeah, I'm so glad they sent us there. <laughs> really, so it was a good time. No, it's great. Yeah, it was a good upbringing to have, kind of on the side. So. So you're basically, your, your dad started this business over in Kenya. You've done a few trips over to Kenya and you're starting to see it. Where did, where did this, this story start? Oh, the story, story time, is it? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting into it. I'm just so excited. Yeah, so when I, when I finished school, you know, as most, you probably went through, what the hell are you meant to do with yourself, right? I, I didn't want to start uni straight away. So I knew Africa was there and I'd bloody loved my time over there since growing up. So I was like, okay. My old man had he'd, um, got in touch with this bloke who runs... He's from the UK and he runs a, a rugby charity yeah. um, through Africa. And he started that, I think it was 2011. And anyway, that's kind of growing. And it was so... In 2014, I did three months... No, two, two and a bit months, I think, this UK-based charity. And we went through... I joined them in Botswana and travelled through Botswana and Namibia and South Africa for two months coaching underprivileged children rugby skills even they had because throughout rug uh, throughout africa it's all football isn't it like the, yeah so we were introducing them to rugby and even even girls and it was a wild time i had so much fun at now, e- i was only 18 that is yeah. crazy just for you to have the courage to go do something so different like that being an 18 year old to go to botswana mm. and like yeah, yeah like, just, how did that were you scared when you no i was amped so <laughs> Just basically from your time in Africa before that, like you were just mm. comfortable with it. A lot of people yeah. are scared of of Africa, of the dangerous side. Were you? Are you not, or is it not as bad as like? Because like like I've like I was just telling you like I've mm. um, done four trips to Mexico, and people like talk about Mexico like like it's the the wild wild west, and anything goes, and it's so dangerous and everything. But I've never really experienced anything like that. Yeah. It's just something you do have to have your wits about you. But I've never had a problem there. Is that the same kind of thing with Africa? Well, since I've never had anything like go wrong in Kenya, it's um, felt so safe. Yeah, nothing had ever gone wrong. But you're always aware, like people are in poverty's all around you when you travel to all of these places, Do and they... you, you just keep your wits about you, and you don't. Yeah, we just didn't go out at night too much, and. Do you feel they would target you being being white? Do you do you really stand out being oh, white? Is it something like Asia where they look at you as like being a tourist and just having heaps of money and like as an easy target? Do you reckon that's the same? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's a bit of a white man's sort of uh, syndrome. I think they tend to have because you, you, whether you like it or not, you're you're a walking dollar sign yeah. in a lot of these countries. Yeah, because. The Mazungu, that's what they call your white man. You stand out like dog's balls. <laughs> yeah, really. As you know when you go to foreign countries. But yeah. Yeah. So, but when I flew into Botswana, I just, it was the best thing because I was only 18 and just a pure adventure to be able to join this because we were all united through the, the passion of rugby. You know, these, yeah. the volunteers who were on the group, I became really good mates with them. One bloke was Welsh and um, an Irishman, um, mainly up, in UK 
but we all just had such a good time because we're out camping and in between these communities. So who would pay for this stuff, but for you to do? Yeah, it? we had to pay a um, like a fee. Yeah. To join. Yeah. So yeah, it covered, you know, just the fuel and and being able to do yeah. that. But I'm so grateful that I got to do that because then that's how this story eventuates because we formed a friendship through the guy who runs the charity is called Babesi Pride. So if there's any rugby fanatics that want to get out and do an adventure, you should look them up. Would that just be... Ben, how do you spell that? Babesi, I think Bebezia. it's B-H-U-B-E-S-I. Bebezia. Pride. I think it's a Zulu word. It's a South African word because the bloke who runs it, his... He was born in South Africa, and during apartheid, things happened, and he he moved to the UK. Yeah. So we became really cl- pretty close mates with the, the founder of that charity. And then in 2016, he wanted... Because he'd pick up the van to do this trip. The trip starts in Ethiopia, and he weaves his way through from Ethiopia all the way down to um, the trip ends in Cape Town, the, the bottom of Africa. So he does 10 countries in the space of six months. And I joined at the tail end of that and did two and a bit months with them. So what you just are you going from like school to school or village to village and just teaching rugby? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so where do you stay when you do it? How it would work, we'd um, go into a community for about a week and just coach rugby every day. Every day we'd get out the kids out from these from the schools and um, at, at at first the teachers were like, "Hey, what what is this business?" Yeah. <laughs> who are these white people coming in but then it really empowered the local community and um at the end of the week they're all loving it they, i don't think those kids would ever go back into the classroom and we'd do stuff like hiv awareness and a bit of you know healthy eating education and that sort of stuff on the side yeah were you and, very welcomed like being like a white person even though you're coming to help did you ever have like any backlash, or like were you were you very um, oh, welcomed was, in those communities? Yeah, the organi- uh, the bloke who runs the show is, is pretty organised with the communities that it was going into. Like we even have meetings. I remember you have a meeting with the the school principals and um, just organise the whole week because it's big big gigs. Like we'd have thousands of kids there at the tournament because at the end of the week we had a big tournament day on a Friday. So some of these kids hadn't even touched a rugby ball before. By the end of the week, we got them playing proper games, and oh, it's Jesus, it's fun! A yeah, yeah, to see them run around at the end of the week and um, having just having because a lot of these kids were really underprivileged yeah. from, um, but I think uh, not just, so much slums, but just real poor communities. So yeah. they're just having a, just a great time. Yeah, I think that's so amazing. Like as you being an eighteen-year-old going out and having such an experience, to seeing like what different parts of the world are like, just to be able to open your eyes like so much like I, I could imagine it'd be for an 18 year old doing that would be such a growing experience yeah. because otherwise it's like like when I was 18 after I have to admit I was so sheltered like I'd just grown up on the Gold Coast and I was doing surf trips in my car along the east coast of Australia but I'd been to overseas once I went to Bali I think when I was mm-hmm. 18 was my first overseas trip and like mm-hmm. I really had no idea what the world was like you know mm. what I mean, and I and especially to see such community communities of underprivileged people, yeah, would be. Um, did that just change your life, being like an eighteen-year-old well, to be open to that? Or I, before that trip, I did in twenty fourteen. My first trip to Africa was in two thousand seven, so it was already 
I was kind of used to, to Africa and, yeah. and I was a bit more aware. But that was that trip in 2014 was the first time I'd gone over there on my, my own, kind of, you know, with yeah. your family. And it was a, yeah, it was a big leap. You know, a lot of these people, you kind of see, you go, you can go to Africa and see the poverty, and, but to go in the communities and be around it and then literally you're kind of starting to empower them. Yeah. And, um, well, you're making a change, you're, well, you're touching them. Yeah, and it's not just the rugby, the, the, the bays, they go on to, through their, their sponsors and what they've been able to achieve now, they're building um, schools and they're building a rugby community, uh, sorry, a, um, a clubhouse, a, a rugby clubhouse in Malawi. I'm still in touch with the bloke who runs it and I want to go down to Malawi and um, build a farm or start up a sort of um, bit of a sustainable agriculture model there for them to the local community get around because that's so you actually have plans for your future to spend a lot of time in africa yeah well <laughs> yeah my, sort of whether i like it or not my family is a base there now in near nairobi yeah yeah right so how often now do you go back um i was back there in january just whenever like i've got a job here now in australia so for now i'm here but yeah it's it's a bit of itchy feet like you, mate. You, yeah, yeah. yeah you want to go where the, the drama is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like like life's too easy going here. Like, <laughs> That's the thing. It's like What's, this is my life. Uh, someone asked me. I get asked this actually all the time. It's just like, where in the world have you found that is just where you'd want to live? Mm. And I'm like, I just, I we are so lucky with how easygoing life is, and the people here, and the culture in Australia, and like, just like me, like surfing and hanging out, and like. We are, we are just so lucky. Too lucky, yeah. But we it's don't like know. I, I still escape so much for that excitement. I get a lot of excitement here, but it's just like life is just so easy, and we are so mm. privileged. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it went, that's one thing that traveling has really showed me is like how lucky we are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I love to tell that to the English. Like, thanks for sending <laughs> us to that. Um, remember that time when you sent all your, <laughs> all your like derelict. You derelict people to on um, that that deserted island. Well, yeah. it wasn't deserted actually, but that like paradise island. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like they just gave us this this gold, and it's just like we live mm. in the most amazing places with nature and animals, and like we have such good weather, and it's just so life is like so easy and fun here. Yeah. But I still chase that other ex- excitement and adventure and and culture. It's more a culture thing. That's one thing that I think Australia we do have culture but not like mm. we don't have that deep and rich culture that maybe you, you see in Africa or like I see in like parts of Asia or South America or Central America and even like the Arctic or like yeah. Iceland it's like I love diving into how strong and rich their cultures are mm. I totally yeah I mean we've got a strong culture here in Australia but unfortunately yeah, I think it's becoming a little bit Americanized. Um, yeah it's just different I, I, I think Living out off grid and in the community that I do, like out in the land and the bush, I've I've definitely noticed that. Man, I'm starting to become way more of a bogan. <laughs> I'm like, I think yeah, the Australian in me gets to really come out, and and I have yeah. a lot of fun with it. But you know, because I'm just surrounded by animals and native animals, and like we're living off the land and. And I even noticed, like, I, I, a lot of the people I interact with are farmers and they're mm. like, you know, that really, that the ones that are really the culture of Australia, you mm. know what I mean? And I find myself, you know, because when you're around those people, you, you're talking and when you're, like, conversing with them, 
you know, you bring out that side of your personality that's going to relate to yeah, them. Yeah. So I notice like my, I notice I swear a lot with yeah, it. Yeah. I notice that um, my accent or like my, I really notice my Australiana might be the word really comes out <laughs> in those in those times. Then when I come back up to the Gold Coast or something, it's like. My friends tease me for being a bogan. You're, you're, you're <laughs> true blue. You come yeah, out. And I'm like, oh yeah. But yeah. um, okay, okay. Let's let's get into it. What's what happened? Yeah. Um, what? story time. Story time. Okay. So like, like we're talking about um how I joined um Babesi on the on the rugby trip back in 2014. So through that connection, uh, Richard Bennett, a good friend of ours who runs the the organisation, um charity he said look i'm bringing because he, he does it with a a van um when i did it it was it was with um so all the um volunteers would jump in the back of um land rovers because they'd sponsor it so yeah. we had i think we had we had three land rovers and um it was awesome we got to drive them through namibia through the desert and like like as in like troop carry land rovers like so it had the bench seats in the back to fit quite a few people yeah like the five seater and then we had a on the on the roofs of the land rovers we had the fold-out tents so we could camp and um, all the cooking equipment. It was quite an operation, actually. Like, one of the blokes who I um, became good mates with, he was a mechanic, and, yeah, we were all prepped. Like, we had various jobs, so, you know. Is this, like, just, like, dirt roads going from village to village? Like, you're out open in nature, like, as in elephants could be running across the road? Yeah, yeah, in Botswana, there's so many wild elephants. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah I'll get into the story. Continue. Continue. Because I remember you said to me something about elephants in in one of your emails. But yeah, so like when you when you're going from village to village, are you? Is it like crossing through like savannah? Yeah, like so how would you describe I'll, the area? I'll jump into the story. Like he wanted to take the um because he he gave up with the Land Rovers, uh, causing a bit of a problem, and he wanted to get all the volunteers into one van. So he bought a Toyota, like a twelve seater, I think it was. And then every year when he starts this trip, um, he then started it from... He stopped doing Ethiopia for various reasons. And then... Was it so dangerous, Ethiopia? Oh, dangerous? in 2011, there was like civil war in Ethiopia. So yeah. it was a bit hairy. So then his plan of attack was to start this um, expedition in Nairobi. And because my parents have their business, their property there, we'd invite the, the group in, a lot of them from the UK. And they'd start the trip off... At our, at our lodge there and do like an induction week sort of get them used like this is Africa this is what you need to be aware of this is the communities that we're going to be going into so anyway we my brothers i uh, got two brothers and my old man we flew into Johannesburg in South Africa and we picked up the van with Richard and the plan was to drive it from Joburg back up to Nairobi so there's I think there's five countries Shit. Okay. And five, so it was going to be an epic, epic adventure. Like, but not dangerous. You're not, you're not scared. Like, do you drive at night or not? Like, is it like you know, like Mexico? You just don't drive at night. Uh, like, well, <laughs> we didn't know what was going on. We just this bloke's. It's his van. We're just like we'll follow his rules. Um, but yeah, you just in, driving through night in Africa's. Uh, you want to avoid it, I guess, because you don't know what's on the road. And driving in Africa, at full stops, quite hectic. <laughs> What, because yeah. of animals on the road or because of just people just the drivers they're fucking awful drivers like you don't really have to um, you know here you get your L's and your P's and do all that there you just you just drive you just buy your license or <laughs> so you, so you your, your brothers and your dad are flying into Johannesburg to pick up this guy this other guy's van 
to take up to to Nairobi, to Nairobi yeah. which so, is where your dad's property is. Yeah, so that was going to gonna be 5,000 kilometers, five blokes and five countries. So 5,000 kilometers, so that's nearly to, that's to WA. That's yeah. like driving, that's, I think it's 6,500 to drive across to WA. That's, that's like and straight driving. If you're driving 10 hours a day or eight to 10 hours a day, <laughs> that's four days, isn't it? Or five days? Yeah, I can't quite remember our... That's a long way, man. The agenda, like, we're probably going to do it in 10 days or something. Yeah. But the roads in Africa, you're going half the pace, probably yeah. even slower. Yeah, because, yeah. And you can't you can't hit the speeds or the distance that you, you, you would hear. Yeah. yeah, that is a long way. Yeah. Like a really long way, man. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, can so use... <laughs> what an adventure, but, like, were you excited? Uh, yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. Like, just with your brothers. You knew, I think before the trip even started, we knew there was going to be adventures. <laughs> so, yeah, you're, so basically, you're going to trek through... Okay, okay, so South Africa, mm. and then what? that's going up through... Jeez, um... Do you know what countries you would get cut Yeah, through? we went... So, the plan was to go, obviously, from South, Joburg, from There's South Africa. Kid <laughs> out. He's, he's chasing a bush turkey. <laughs> yeah, some kids running around the park chasing a bush turkey. So, yeah, the plan was to go through from South, South Africa. South Africa, Botswana, um... Oh, jeez. Zambia. Zimbabwe, Zambia, up through, sort of, to Victoria Falls. Um, that's where we ended up, but... Then through Tanzania, then into Kenya. And was that route to get there, is that like the route picked because it's the safest or that's just the way you drive? Um, yeah, like I think that was, I don't know if it was the, probably the most direct route. Yeah. Yeah. Like the best um, roads and... But maybe Richard, he probably had to drop into some of these communities, I think, to... um pick up some stuff or touch yep. base with the plan the expedition. and pre yeah yeah he had contacts along the way that he needed to drop into so how old are you at this stage oh i was 21 yeah this Shit. is 2000 this was in january 2016 yeah like in my uni holidays and yeah so we we're pretty amped for the trip we, we got the van packed up ready to go and um we headed north. Yeah, the plan was to do a bit of camping and sightseeing along the way, but really just to get the van from A to B sort of thing. Yeah. Because he didn't have as much time. So we got to um, Gaborone, which is the capital of Botswana. Had a nice little time there. And I, you see, I'd been through a lot of these communities back in 2014 when I'd volunteered with the organisation. So kind of doing the trip in reverse, but this time with my brothers and my old man. And then... Um, Did the, the communities remember you? Oh, we weren't getting engaged with the rugby side. Yeah. No, we didn't. Yeah, it was mainly just to move the van back to the start, back to Nairobi. But then we got up into Botswana and we're doing a bit of camping there in um, Chobe National Park, which is beautiful. When you're saying camping, like this whole way, are you just taking tents? Like sleeping pads? Um, Sleeping in tents or like... Sorry, actually, when we got into Botswana, because we're moving, we're trying to move fast. We um, didn't actually plan to do that much camping. But that night, yeah, I think we were planning to camp. So, yeah, we got through. We, we had a, a night at, in Gaborone, the capital of Botswana. And then we went up north into, into Chobe National Park, which we were there for the elephants sort of thing. Like, we went into, um, there's this campsite called Elephant Sands. There's this watering hole where all the elephants come to drink of a night. And we were there having, like, our, our braai, which is the, the Afrikaners do this 
it's their version of a barbecue. Is that like a hungry? They cook it in the ground? No, nah, huh? it's just like a normal barbecue, but they do it properly. Like, they don't muck around. Yeah. I thought Aussies did barbecues as well, but until I, when I lived over there. But So, yeah, we're around this, um, we're doing the barbecue and everything, and I'm sitting at a just a table having a feed, and bang, like, feel this, this bite on my on my toe. And then that's, the, that's when the story starts. Like, because I, I just always, I never wore shoes, you know. I didn't even know what shoes were until I was like six, but... Um, the scorpion, those little fucking little thing. Oh, I didn't actually see it straight away. So I thought it was a snake, right? And um, so it, did it hurt? Like it was that painful? You're sitting mm, there and just suddenly banging your yeah, like Yeah, it, it hurt. Yeah, it was. I mean, I hadn't been bitten by a snake before, so I didn't know what to compare it to. But it, it was like a being whacked, or I don't know, just. But it was on on this this toe here, so it got me on the end of the toe. I was sitting at a bench, and then I was like, went from seated position, and I was standing on top of the table without even knowing how I did it. Like it just went boom. Oh, so it like it literally was just like bang, and it made you like yeah, jump. I didn't even like, know how I got on top of the table. <laughs> holy shit! And then I was yeah. like, fuck, fuck, everybody, like step back, fuck, and everyone just just like so chilled, having beers. Like enjoying our evening waiting for these fucking elephants <laughs> <laughs> and then my brother's like they're all embarrassed like what are you doing like chill and then I'm like no 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 there's a snake I was yelling out snake because yeah. that was my first instinct there was a snake we had a look around and the camp manager came over and he's he identified the scorpion yeah and then from there so as in like he came over and was like hey what's going on like looked down did, it, did he put a light on or something or did he look down to where you got bit and saw a scorpion yeah. or did it, was it just the bite he could see the bite mark was a scorpion i'm not gonna lie like this the first 24 hours like i i remember the distinct me- like points of what happened but all the detail it gets pretty vague because you got i don't know i was just fucked. Like, <laughs> <laughs> i think all the drugs that i got pumped into me over that period it just i kind of started i've started to lose the it's okay, do your best, man. It's yeah. like But I do remember that yeah, I got bitten and then everyone was like, Okay, had figured out I'd been stung by a scorpion and then I didn't I didn't know like what how dangerous is this gonna be, but everyone was really chilled and we, we sat down and we just kept going about our thing. And then the elephants started coming in to the watering hole. These big um So wait, 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 so wait, how is nobody concerned? It's not your dad, everyone's like, Oh, scorpion <laughs> just bit my son, cool. Alright. What do you do? You want a beer? <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's that was li- literally it. Like well, the elephants finally came, and everyone's just like, "Oh, there's, the elephants are coming!" And as we're pretty, we're sitting here like near the water's edge of this um, watering hole, just watching the elephants come in. It's quite amazing to be kind of because we've seen elephants from the vehicle and on the safari, but to be at the sort of level of of the elephants and, and the power that they have. Yeah, yeah, and the calves came in with them, and they were drinking. This was. There was like a full moon, and it was, wow. it was like, and you're pretty. You don't give a fuck about being bitten by a scorpion. You're watching the elephants. Did, was it still hurting? Did it leave like a, a pain? Yeah. Like a- so every three seconds, I remember it was like this jolt that went up my leg. It was like a screwdriver was going into my toe, and just you know, it was. But- and are you saying to your dad or anyone, or are you just trying to be quiet because they're enjoying the elephants? You're not being like, ah, oh, like, um, <laughs> hey guys, like, what? this is really hurting over here. Yeah, you know, I was. I just went off on my own and sort of <laughs> tried to regather myself. Yeah, you're like, I don't want to disturb everyone's like enjoying of the elephants. That's it, that's <laughs> it. And I remember the elephants were there and I just was like, 
this is the worst timing. I just want to watch the elephants. I can kind of relate to that. If everyone, there's a big build up to something and mm. it's all just happened and then suddenly something's happened to you, you don't, and if you don't know the extremity of it, you don't want to take away from like what That's, everyone is there to experience. So yeah. I can kind of get being like, just like bite your tongue or just like man up and just be like, oh, I just got to deal with this and let everyone, you know, because you, I can kind of understand that. But then Scorpio is like, I don't know, man. Like, I remember in South America, Central America, Scorpios. There was one in our bed, and it was like, we found it. I remember going to get the 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 farmer at this uh, place we're staying at, and he came and was like, so no one got bitten in it, and they were really terrified Mm. that the Scorpio might have bitten us. All right, you know, but it hadn't. But it was just like Scorpios to us at that time. It was the little ones were like, yeah, these are serious things. Was this in Mexico? This was in uh, Panama, actually. Okay. Well, at least they're aware of them there because where we were, no one told us a thing. Like, no warning, nothing. Like, And I was just walking around barefoot. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, uh, I love story time. I want to hear that story. <laughs> no, no, no. So, okay, so everyone's watching the elephants. You're there. There's this sharp pain shooting up your foot. You don't, you don't know what to do. Yeah. You just Is it like taking away from you just enjoying the elephants? Is it just like, are you just trying to... Oh, it's, it's bloody like... It was painful. I don't yeah. really, I don't know how you measure pain, but it was, it had me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, like I've done some stupid things. I've grabbed electric, electric fences before. Don't ask me why. I've just done it to see what was on or not. But yeah. <laughs> I was a high, it was like electric jolts up, up my leg every three seconds. And um, I was just clenching my foot. And um, then the camp owner came over, this big, big Afrikaner bloke came over and he's like, yo, bro, here. And he's like, my wife is. She's been bit before, eh? And <laughs> great South African accent. Yeah, Can go in the accent. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's good fun. But <laughs> she's like, yeah. Uh, no, he goes. Um, sh- she was bit, and then um, next morning, your brew. She was. She was back on the farm. I was like, okay, sweet. So she was good the next morning. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, here, 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 but come up here. And he <laughs> he gives me like um, just like a glass of of rum. And he's like, just have, have some rum, like, he's like, yo, bro, you're going to be fucking crying and carrying on for the whole evening. He's just, just, just perk yourself up, have, have some rum and then you'll be right. <laughs> oh, sweet. I'm in for a ride. <laughs> and then, yeah, that fucker, he didn't. What did the rum do? Did it, did it numb anything? Did it numb no, the pain? I just, yeah, like, I think he knew what I was in for. I think he knew but he was just uh, trying to be like yeah you'll be right mate like yeah. yeah trying to like yeah well that's probably that's a good trick to keep the mind strong you mm. know what i mean like think about like when you i've been in a situation like climbing a mountain with someone that was like not up for it and you had to keep the positive sign like even though it was really yeah. getting painful you had to be like no nah, it's all cool you know like it's fine like it's just you know we're all doing it it's, it's sweet and you're like well we're actually you know it's like when something severe severe ha- it's like on the plane you know, the flight attendants don't want to panic anyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Literally. It's just like you're in the worst turbulence you've ever seen. Th- the engine's on fire. You're seeing yeah, the smoke and they're like, it's normal. Everyone stay calm. <laughs> What's he going to tell me? Like, you're fucked for the next yeah. 48 hours. Your life's going to be hell, mate. But no, he... I mean, yeah, he just tried to breeze it over. Because he, he must have... I mean, his, he knows the scorpions that are on in that country and... Mm. Yeah, so then I just went and sat down in this little cabin thing. And then what was bizarre, my foot went so cold. It went so cold. Like, you know when you're a kid and you put like your hand in an ice bucket? Yeah. And you just do it and try and hold it in there for as long as you can? 
Yeah. And then <laughs> you realize you lose your feeling and then that's kind of what happened to my foot. It just lost all feeling and it was so cold. Like, we At this stage, are you that's what was, telling your dad? Yeah, they, they all knew what was going on and um, I was, yeah, I was like... Had that alerted anyone? Was, like picked anyone up? Oh, everyone like, oh, knew. Shit. Yeah, they were starting to worry. Yeah. Um, and but the idea was that I was just trying to wait it out. Things just escalated quickly. Like, after. was there anything as in like you know being Australian thinking about like say like a red belly black bite or something, like about like you know like elevating or not elevating or like or like securing it or like you know what I mean like not getting the blood flowing or like. Any- yeah, just we're in the bush, so we had, um, like there's no hospital to rush off to. That's yeah. the thing. I think we knew like. What are we? What are we gonna do? Yeah, like, the nearest town was four hundred kilometers away. <gasps> that the is proper. That's we're in the Enchobe Desert. Yeah, but no one knew what to do. But yeah, thinking back, um, Richard he was pretty well set, and he had these satellite phones, and he's like, oh, "I'm gonna ring." For some, I think he, one of his mates knew about scorpions. <laughs> I don't know. He got a, got a hold of him on a satellite. I think he was in South Africa. Yeah. And he got a hold of him on the sat phone and he called him up and he sent a photo. Because we actually, oh, yeah, we, we saw the thing. Yeah. And um, the the bloke, he's like, yeah, come over and have a look at this. And he puts um, a tablespoon a tablespoon underneath the pincers on the yeah. the tail. And this scorpion just starts going and striking the, the spoon and it fills it up with the poison. With poison. And he's like, you swallow that, you're dead. Because <laughs> so it's such a small thing. I got a photo yeah. on my phone. I'll show you. But the scorpion's only this couple of inches big. But it's the t- it's all in the tail, and the tail's got a black tip, and that's filled with like proper venom. And um, so that he got on the sat phone to this bloke, and he's just like, "Yeah, get him, get some anti-venine, get some anti-venom into him, like find it. Like this shit's get, serious. Get, you yeah. need any ve- venom. Yeah, he right saw now. the photo, and he said that's dangerous. That's so the, the second most poisonous um, scorpion in Africa, and he said, Shit. "Move him, move, get him to." The- so this has suddenly put everything into light for everyone. It's like you've been able to show someone a photo of this scorpion that you've mm. been bitten by, and heaps of pain, <laughs> foot's numb, foot's cold. Yeah, holy shit! And this guy's like, get any well, venom. I don't he- think he knew exactly how bad it would be. Yeah, but he said, "I think he." He started to ring the alarm bells for us. But did you have any venom? Uh, uh, the anti-venine, like the... Yeah. So this is where, where it goes. Yeah, we, um, the camp manager, he knew some... Um, he threw me in the back of his, his bucky, they call it, which is like ute. We all hopped in. We took two utes through the bush. We are just driving because we had to get out of there. Like, Where was the plan to go where? Well, he, we didn't even know. He's just like, follow me. He threw me in the ute and the others were in the back. And he started driving through proper scrub you were going through the bush like through all these sand tracks this is late at night by now it's probably 10 30 11 he's trying to find he knows his are you starting to get scared no oh. <laughs> i can't even remember whether i knew where we were going or not because i was just focused on the pain like i didn't care what was going on i was just like, the pain at like by this day, like are you crying at all are you screaming is it... no, i'm just kind of gritting my teeth and like clenching and trying yeah. to take these shocks because the venom's shooting up it felt like like I said, like uh, electric shocks up my leg, right up, shooting right up my leg and into because it's going through your um, I think through your vein, um, your yeah, your bloodstream. That's oh, what's happening. Shit. And then my heart rate's going up, and yeah, the concern is that once the venom get gets to, to your heart, then it pumps around your body. And yeah, 
Anyway, we we're going through the bush and um, he was looking for this um, anti-poaching unit because um, poaching is a big thing for the elephants in Botswana. So he knew, knew there was this camp out there that were the anti-poachers, so were there to like pretty much protect the elephants and they're yeah. all armed, like, they're there ready to kill. These are hardcore dudes, like set up temporary camps and they move around and they like drink out of puddles and... They're, they're hard dudes like yeah and um because they yeah if they if you find a, someone who's trying to poach out there it's open fire you shoot to kill like it's, yeah so that, that's i remember listening to on joe rogan that's where a lot of the hunting um money goes towards is those guys the anti-poachers there's a lot of um yeah funding for it and, yeah. and it does wonders throughout there well in south africa you can go there and pay your big bucks these americans come over there and go trophy hunting yeah, and they pay like, I think it was that that dent. The, yeah, remember that dentist that, and that lion. Yeah, he shot that lion. But I remember after that, I just listened to this. I don't, I don't really know enough to comment. But I just remember the Joe Rogan episode I listened to was that that funding of that stuff to pick off like that one or two animals. All the funding was going into conservation and keeping the poachers away. Mm. And then after that, Sessie the lion, I think it was, or the, the lion thing, and he got shot. It all stopped, and then. The poachers, there was no funding because no one was paying for it and all the poachers came in because there was no anti-poachers. No one had jobs and a lot of the anti-poachers went to poaching oh. because they were just looking, they just they were just there just for jobs, yeah, you know what I, I mean? See, yeah. And um, it actually worked in reverse. But anyway, that's a whole other subject and that was just something that I listened to. Yeah, but, no. so you're looking for one of these anti-poaching poaching camps. camps. Yeah, and we got, we finally got there. I remember we... I wonder if they were scared. Like, you're just a couple of utes, like, coming up in the middle of the night to this camp. They would have heard the roar of the engines and everything. They, that would have heightened <laughs> them probably at 11 o'clock at night or the something. Thing is, they were all smoking, I don't know if it was weed or they were just all having durries. <laughs> they were sitting around the fire and playing cards, and it was something out of a movie scene. Like, we rocked up, and they're all just there's machine guns sitting on just on the tree. That's and, exactly how I pictured it yeah, yeah. when you said that. And like, they had, like, the the guns with like the straps like yeah. you see in the movies um and um what they would went for some reason there was like the rats in a tree and they were pouring fuel like petrol all over the tree and trying to burn the rats out of a tree like, it was it was weird that's what i remember they're like they was what tra- to catch rats yeah to they eat f- them Oh, well, you just don't know you no, just, remember just wanted rats. to burn the rats like that's what was their entertainment for the evening and we got sick of the cards, but then they this bloke came to the ute and he lifted me out and there was this little shed and he carried me in, dropped me down on this it wasn't like a made up bed, it was just like a frame or even a bench. Can't quite remember. And he puts me down there and then yeah, they're talking like we need to get the because these anti poachers have the that they have the I think they call it anti venine, like if they get yeah. bitten by a scorpion or a snake, they are then like got the medicine to to deal with it so we're very lucky that this was only like an hour's drive away because the nearest hospital was 400 kilometers like so through this time from when you first got bitten is this pain is it getting worse and worse i was kind of just steady like yeah the 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 shocks up the foot and um planes flying over oh look at that so close to each other. Well, wow, there's two, <laughs> two planes flying there. Oh, that's sick. It's probably stunt jumps or something. It's like Holy two stunt crap. planes flying together. That's really cool. This is an amazing afternoon, actually, down at Lennox Head, down at the lake. How, 
Again, we're <laughs> so lucky. This having a fish the mosquitoes, here. I'm getting some spray. Um, so hang on, where were we? So he's put you down oh, yeah. on the bunk. And then, yeah, he had the antivenine and... But I remember he um he pull, opens this drawer that's next to the bed and he pulls out a handgun. And I've just gone, fuck, like, what? He's like, going to put you out what, of what, misery. What, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, don't, what do I do? But then he just, like, um, pulls the ammo out. Um, I think it was like a pan pistol. And he just puts it on the bench. He's like, yo, I'm just being safe. <laughs> yeah. And then he pulls out his needles and... Um, he, no, no, he pulls out a little certificate. Just wait, wait, wait. So why is he just being safe with the gun? I don't know. Just because the gun's is just a gun hidden in there? Yeah. Okay, and he okay. wanted to show me that he's my friend. That, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know, mate. Like, no, but that could be... Yeah, it's like, hey, this is my gun that I had in this drawer, but hey, don't worry. It's like, we're together. Maybe. I'm taking the ammo out. It's all cool. Yeah. I'm safe. Yeah. If I had a gun hiding, I would probably do that. Be like, yeah, man, yeah. I'm on your team. Look. Yeah, okay. Possibly. But he was really... It's Anyway... He got out this certificate, and it was like he was a um, a prison nurse or a prison. He'd he'd worked in a prison before, and he was like the prison doctor. Or don't don't think he was a doctor, but the prison nurse. Like would admit it. Yeah, I can imagine. By and this he was stage, so proud like, of it. He was like showing me. He's like, look, look. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing you like in all this pain. And yeah. this guy's, you finally got to someone that's got any venom, and then yeah. all he can do is show his certificate, say how proud he is of himself, and you're just sitting there in pain, just be like, mate, can he you pulled just- out like a plastic sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> he was so happy, like, he wanted to show, you know. He's like, before I fix you, look at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm legit. Anyway, he um, jabbed me in the ass. I think he gave me two jabs one in the shoulder, and then two in the, the butt, like, for the anti venine. Yeah, that was little did I know it at that point. I was so lucky to have gotten that because just don't know what would have happened. Because that's yeah, I don't I don't know how much he gave it to me, how much of it he administered to me, or I just don't don't know. I should probably look into some research. <laughs> yeah, how much it's worth because they didn't ask for any money or anything. They just did it. Then they chucked me back in the. Well, the they had u- to save a human's life. So when it comes to that stuff, it's like that's what it's there for. You know, it's just yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, so so have you once he stabbed you with it? Has it changed any of your symptoms? No, no. The foot was proper cold, like, and I remember it was really sensitive to touch. Like, so we went back to the camp where we were staying. We thought we'd ride the night out and just see what happens. Hopefully, by the morning I'll be sweet. And it just didn't get better. And then, um, Dad was, you know, like, he's worried about your son. He's like, fuck. Let's get it. Like we need to get him to the nearest hospital, and 400 kilometers away to um, Kasani, in in the north of Botswana, on the edge of the Zambezi River. But the thing is, Richard, who owned the van, and we're, we're kind of um, guests on his his trip, right? Yeah, and this is going to put a big hole in his trip. Yeah, he didn't want to take the van anywhere, because the van was his baby, right? And he was very wary of driving at night through Botswana because of the elephants, because they. There's elephants everywhere through Chobe. And he was like, nah, he's saying it's too dangerous to drive at night. Because they'll you know, ram it or they'll be on the road. I and like if you get... Yeah, I can imagine actually elephants, if they're on the road and you're coming up, they might see you as a threat and they just ram you because you see videos of that all yeah. the time. I think it's more just, just um, I don't know, just running into one. But he was more just did not want to risk... The van was his baby. It was his expedition of what he'd been planning for the whole year. He didn't want to... He was just very yeah, risk that was adverse. His investment, yeah. yeah. But dad, like, he was like, and I was like, fuck, like, 
fuck we have to go like i can't just sit here and hope cross my fingers and hope for the best like because the pain wasn't easing up yeah so um there's a bit of an altercation there but we all jumped in the van and we we didn't (laughs) um we didn't go above 80 kilometers per hour that was like the deal that we we stayed and um, so i remember sitting in the van watching watching the clock and just time went so slow because the pain was still coming it like it was a long trip that way (laughs) through the middle of the night through botswana so how how long were you driving Uh, i think well probably did five or six hours through the night and did did it escalate the pain yeah like um it escalated then it started to drop off it was just like i can hardly even remember how i was thinking about it because i was just a mess like trying to the energy levels started to drop off to fight the pain so i was like yeah and i remember um as the pain was coming in because i i don't know like you try and think that you can like fight it but then eventually i was just like try i spoke to my brothers about this like i was trying to just like meditate and chill the hell out and i remember like it there's shocks coming in and I'd try and focus on, on that pain and then just... And that actually helped, I think. Yeah. Just because you got to, like, kind of calm down or else you just lose your mind. Are you, like, screaming or anything when the pain hits you? No, I was just clenching my leg and... Yeah, and it was so cold I couldn't feel my foot. Um, I mean, I could feel the foot, but, like, no, it was... Yeah, it was so cold. And then... But when um, the bed sheets or anything touched my toe fucking hurt i was so sensitive really? on that one bit where the scorpion had bit me so i was very careful about no one touching my fucking toe <laughs> holy shit have you yeah. contemplated in this in this whole scenario have you contemplated like death like as in like that or is it was it more just a pain as in like fuck this thing hurts i've got to get through the pain are you thinking at all that it might kill you no, I don't think so. Like even before getting the anti-venom or once... I did just, I did, the thing is, we just didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, we didn't know. Like, at least we knew that I'd gotten the anti-venine. Yeah. So, when, you, when you're driving through Botswana, are you driving on dirt roads or is it like normal roads or like... That road was sealed. Yeah, yeah they're sealed pretty, roads, pretty so shoddy can... roads though. Like, yeah. a lot of potholes and that. But yeah. um, we finally pulled up in Kasani and that's in the north of Botswana and we pulled up into this this hospital yeah we got there and I've been in a few um African clinics before <laughs> just and this one was all right like but on the outside it looked okay and I pulled in there and um it was just yeah typical African scene like lots of people were there waiting to either be treated to and there's one doctor who couldn't treat everyone at once and um I what was interesting is like pretty much just went straight to the front of the queue because like just i don't know whether it was because we're like white man coming in or yeah and they're like oh money yeah i've i've felt really bad about that but i've experienced that in indonesia when my friends have hurt themselves surfing on the reef and like going to the hospital and my Mm. like and you've walked in and then suddenly you get the attention first and you're like you're looking around the waiting room you're like how come and they're grabbing you guys to pull you to the front and you're thinking 
like my mate just needs some stitches or something. Mm. Why? Like, what about these guys? Kind yeah, of thing? Like, yeah, yeah. I've I've experienced that. I don't know if that is a white thing at the time, or if it was like just they knew that you're in more trouble. Or yeah, well, I, don't know. I was desperate to see someone because I'm still in that yeah. pain bracket. But, um, but I, I've thought I've experienced that before. I wondered yeah. that. I was like, are they thinking like, or do they charge us more, or like I don't know? And there were people sitting on the floor, like, and there weren't enough beds in there. Yeah, I was in some pain then, and um. We, the others went back to this amazing um, yeah there's this lodge there and they're like fuck it this has been dramatic they decided just let's just stay there we'd you know decide we're just gonna lash out and stay in this this nice lodge so is this your dad and your yeah. brother and, and Richard and dad had, he'd um, got Richard a bottle of scotch I think like as a present just you know like thank you yeah, for, for, for allowing us to take yeah. your van and they just hooked into that <laughs> and <laughs> And meanwhile, you're just at the hospital. I oh, know. So I was. I went. I think I've got some medication, and yeah, just took all afternoon, all day, getting the drugs, seeing these people. So had you slept at all? No, 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 no. Because I just couldn't sleep. Just the pain was still pain. coming, and then, but it would go in waves. It dropped down for a few hours. Then I went and sat down in this, um, in the lodge, and I remember, yeah, they was all started to chill out. I'm like, fuck. Well, that was hectic. Like. Well, we made it. We're safe now. So did the doctor, like when you finally got in to see the doctor, was he just like, did you just tell him, oh, I've been shot with some anti-venom, I got bit by a scorpion, mm. anti-venom's in, I'm still in heaps of pain. And they're like, were they just like, oh, no, you're sweet, you'll, you'll survive, but here's some like painkillers yeah, or something? Is I that what? really remember the, the conversations that were had between the, the local doctors, but they might have, I don't know whether they said you're, like, you're all good or not, but um, when I went back to the hotel... Like I thought I was sweet, and then it eased down a bit, and then then the shocks came up my leg again, just out of nowhere, and it was just that was the worst it'd been, horrendous pain up the leg, and then how many hours do you reckon pass from when it bit you? Well, it was probably like a good twelve to eighteen hours later, and it's just come back stronger. Yeah, it was almost twenty four hours later, and then that was yeah, that was solid. I remember that was probably the worst than even getting bit. And then we called the ambulance to come and get me quick. And then they came in because I wanted to get rushed off back so, up like, the hill. Just wait a sec. So you're, you're sitting there as you've been going through waves. Mm. It's suddenly just come on way stronger. Yeah, you're just, just like, oh my, like it, I'm guessing it's come on, if it's come on that bad that your dad, your family, like Richard, like everyone that's there is just like, holy shit, we need to call an ambulance. Like, yeah. Like, so they're still really worried about well, you, even though you've had this medication, even though you've had the anti-venom. Yeah, because we just didn't know, like, yeah. whether this had hit my heart and was pumping around the body. Yeah, so and that like, was their concern. There's local doctors, I don't know, they're not well trained or... Yeah. It's not like, you know, in Australia, we're so fortunate. You just go to the doctor and then you you go to the hospital, right? You go. There's, like, full-on emergency room. You go in. Once you're in... Yeah. I don't know, like, you'd probably just think you're safe in the system. Just a little bit. You're taken care right. of. But over there, like, especially in these rural communities, like... Yeah, just... not as much training, and I, I've definitely experienced this in... Oh, man, I went to a dentist once in Sri Lanka. Holy shit, with rusty utensils. Because <laughs> so I chipped my tooth on some rice, and I went in this on little village... Rice. Yeah, like because they dry the rice on the side of the road, so there's there's yeah. usually a lot of like um, gravel in it and stuff. Mm. And I was just eating some rice and like a bit of rock, and it snapped my tooth. 
And I went to this dentist in this tiny little village. I heard there was a dentist there. And I, it was like literally a little village hut, dirt floor. Went in there. There was a seat that was like all ripped up. This guy's like, oh, sit down on the seat. He pulls out some rusty utensils. And I start freaking out. He's like, mate, what's, what's the problem? And I was like, like, oh, like, and, and he's like, he's like, I have, I've trained like, yeah, like, I don't, yeah, he started telling me something. I remember Mitch, my, my friend was like, and I was in like pain, my chip had cracked and I was like, all right, I'm not getting it fixed. I just said to him, can you do something temporary? Cause yeah. I was like, I'm not getting it fixed here. Yeah, yeah. I'll, we're going to Thailand after I'll get it done there. Cause Mitch, Mitch is like, dude, get out of the chair. Like you're going to get, man, it's all rusty. Like, it's just like this guy and this guy literally what he did, he put some like filling on his finger mm. And just pushed it into my tooth and just held it there. All right. And it actually kind of worked. Like, but <laughs> I did not want any utensils. Yeah. He didn't even try grind it down or anything. It's just like, yeah, come here. Get some kid, yeah, some kids <laughs> yelling out. The same guys with microphones and yelling out. Yeah, they are. yeah, the boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So continue, man. So like, so yeah, we jumped in the back of the um, ambulance and shot up the hill, and that was a bit of a joy ride. I think <laughs> we've gone flat out. I couldn't see what we're headed for but yeah he had the siren on and everything pretty fun (laughs) has that scared you at all the the ambios to put the siren on like just i think by then i because i thought you know when these shocks start to go away i I thought right i'm free like that's it it's good it's not going to come back then it came back and i hadn't slept for hadn't like it worn all my energy out and i didn't have anything to keep going and then it started like the less Least, I had no more adrenaline to keep fighting this and um, I think it, the more it happened it just kept busting me it was like got worse and worse and that was with a um, a private clinic so they had a bit more equipment and seemed a, like a bit of a better setup. Do you have travel insurance? Who's paying for this yeah, stuff? This is, this is what's fucked. <laughs> okay. We never <laughs> never had any insurance or anything so like at one point He's like, should we get a helicopter to take him down to Joburg? And Dad's like, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> he had no travel insurance. That, to me, and, I don't and know for why any listeners out there, I, with how stupid and raw and stuff that I've been in, mm. in my life, that's one thing that I've learned so much is how important travel insurance is because it has saved me so many times. And I saw a, a mate one night in Indonesia drunk cooter got picked up by another mate and he like just on the street and they fell over and he hit his head on the gutter um ended up having three brain surgeries and his mum convinced him the day before to book travel insurance and it cost millions Mm. to save this guy's life and do the brain surgery and everything and it's just like the way i look at traveling and this is so i'll just i'm it's good this is a good point that i would like to to put out to people is it's (laughs) like um the way i view travel insurance now Mm. is that it's not because if i hurt myself severely overseas like i know my parents would my mum would do anything to to help me and it's like it for me when i think about it for travel insurance is really cheap when you actually think about it and i have so many friends that just go "Ah, i'm not going to pay it when they go on a trip to indonesia and it's literally 180 bucks for like say three or four months yeah and for me, I think about it like this. It's not worth for my parents to lose their house over and my sister to lose, lo- you know, like to save me just because I didn't pay 180 bucks. Mm. I'm just like, it's for me, it's just a... Oh, it's a, like a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah now it is, the way you're, but I've learned. But I've you're traveling like, in that. so many yeah. people I see don't do it. They're like, ah, I'll be right. I've never needed it. And it's just yeah. like, I've actually used it so much. I've been in hospital in many countries. Yeah. 
and it saved me big time and and because people say you know like they well i'm never like if i get robbed i just get robbed it's not about getting robbed it's the medical because travel insurance companies always like it's not that they scam you they always find an excuse to not refund you or like or to to cover your gear you know they'll, mm. they like to use the excuse you're not you weren't looking after it enough you know like or, or something but it's just like you don't get it for, it's for mainly, your gear you get yeah, it for medical certainly yeah okay okay sorry well i think I don't know. We're just bloody muffets. We didn't have the travel insurance. No, it's okay. It's just like but, I know a lot of people that doesn't. So but we're like, in because we're kind of like based in Kenya. It kind of felt, I think, just like a side trip. Yeah. I don't know. It's not like going from Australia to Botswana. But anyway. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Got in the the ambulance and shot up to this clinic. Then when we were there, I remember that I think the doctor was just trying to have a bit of fun, like. <laughs> He he grabbed my leg and he's like, "Hey, like, if we if we're gonna amputate, he's like, we'll go here." And he goes, "Boof!" And he like chops, like makes his hand into like a saw, and he goes, "Dook!" Like on my on my shin. What well, like, hits it hard? Yeah, and he's like, "That's where we'll we'll amputate here." And and I'm like, "Nah, fuck off! Like, get back." <laughs> so, do you think he's serious at all? Nah. <laughs> He was just playing with me, but I panicked. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, yeah, I was like, no, you're not taking my foot. And then I was starting to worry, like, imagine, like, because I was starting to lose it at this point, like, just had no more energy and that. I was like, God, no more foot, no more footy, no more surfing or whatever you want to do. <laughs> so you're thinking you're going to have long-term repercussions from yeah. this, that much pain. Well, at that point, I thought there could be a chance that maybe I might lose my foot. Or like feeling in my foot, yeah, I started to panic a bit because when you're in the moment, you, like you don't have that awareness. Like no one, yeah, no, there was no good doctors around, and no one was informing us. Or so, what did these doctors do this time? I think they just so the ambulance is taking you there. You're there every time I went to one of these clinics. This is the second one. They just administer more more drugs, more injections. So you're just I getting did. more and more drugged up. Yeah. So is it just painkillers? You reckon? Yeah. Um... I actually don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, like, it's all legit. Like, it's not like your bush doctors and stuff. Like, they actually got the medication. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll give me the right stuff. I, I know from Indonesia and, and other places I've been, they're giving you medicine and it's not in English at all. And mm. so, like, you're trying to Google, Google Translate sometimes, like, what they're putting in you, but sometimes you just can't mm. and you just got to trust. I think they'll give me a, a lot of morphine just to. Oh, so you're, yeah. Yeah, you're getting the good shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was on a drip for a bit and then I'd... So they're giving you that stuff and you're still in as much pain. And then after that that doctor visit, uh, to that clinic rather, I was I was like, sweet. I was fine. I felt good. And um, Could you walk? No, no. Couldn't walk. I was honest. I, can't, I don't think we'd been given it. We had a wheelchair yet, but my brothers were just carrying me <laughs> everywhere. Then we went right, like, Let's make a move because we'd stayed. I think I was two nights in that in Kasani. We're like, let's make a move to um, up further up north, and we'll go on to um, Livingston, which is in in um, Zambia. So we went from Botswana. You quickly go into Zimbabwe, and then we cross the Zambezi River. And um, I was fine at this point, fine, fine, like happy days, going to enjoy the rest of the trip. And then we get into we cross the Zambezi. You go. We put the the van on a ferry and we cross the Zambezi, and then, bang! It came back. 
<gasps> like the, the, the shocks up, up from the toe up through to the... And it started to get into... I think it's in your glands. In your, I think you got one in like your... Yeah, in your hip. In your, yeah. in your hip. Yep, and it got into there. Kind of yeah. And it got in there. And then the whole pain was up the leg. That's when it really hit me because I know that's when I lost it. And we're coming into um, Livingston and I just started flipping out, like hitting myself and like fucking screaming. Lost it. Yeah. Like Before I'd been composed. Because like, this is day two without any sleep and I just fucking... Yeah. I was only 20 and I just, 21 or something. Just like, over the pain. Just was just mental. <laughs> yeah. And they were panicking. We pulled into this backpackers, like, where's the hospital? And this Aussie chick came out. And she was really helpful, I gather, because we were also Aussies. And she was like, she jumped in the car and we boosted through the... We almost had a car accident on the way to this hospital, like at this intersection. I think Dad was driving. Just <laughs> No one ever talked about that, but I felt like that was closer than dying in the whole event. And then that was another clinic, and that doctor didn't know what to do. She was pouring hot water onto my foot because she thought, like, oh, like, yeah. warm it up because I was complaining how fucking Make the cold blood it was. Flow more. And she was, yeah. the water was like almost boiling, hey? And, <laughs> and she wasn't even the doctor. The doctor was out. She was the doctor's wife. And I was there for a night, and then they didn't know what to do. So I went on to another, found one more clinic. This is in Livingston where all the. The backpackers go to see Victoria Falls. Yeah. It's the largest waterfall in, in Africa and it's amazing. That's massive, yeah. So we were there in this this nice little this nice little town there and all the tourists are there to jump off the bridge and do the white water rapids, but we weren't having any fun. We we're just anyway, we finally found another clinic and there was this um a Russian lady and she was so hard, man. She scared the shit out of me. Because when we went in there, she's like just telling me like, was she like sort of a Russian doctor? Uh, yeah, in in um, Zambia. She seemed to know a shit. You know what? I've just forgotten a po- uh, another part of the story. Continue. I'm gonna go it's back. okay. No, go yeah. back. Yeah. So in Kasani, when I when I, I stayed the night in that hospital, because we were there for two nights, and then yeah, my brothers and my old man went back down to the the five star lodge and put their feet up and had a mad old time. But I was in this hospital. They put me in the bed there and. But the whole, like, my brother came up and kept checking on me every few hours. And the whole hospital was just left wide open. And, like, people on the floor and, and like, anyone could have walked in. And there was no one in sight. And he's like... Just sick people. Yeah. And he's like, there's no, you know, you think in a hospital you have some sort of security or... Yeah. It was just wide open. He walked in and he found me in a, in a room. And there was just, the fluorescent lights were right on. And it was just, I was all lit up. I was passed out because they hit me with heaps of morphine because I was screaming heaps. The doctor looked like Idi Ming and he's like, no, you're not in pain. I was like, I'm fucking... <laughs> he's telling me what I am and what I aren't feeling. and uh, Yeah. So, and then I was just like, knock me out. Like, give me something strong and I want to just... Yeah, so he gave me some, I think, a lot of morphine or something to put me to sleep. And I slept for like the whole night, yeah. And then when I... My brother came up to check on me and he's just like, Look, he saw one bloke and he thought he was just dead because he had like his eyes open. And um, shit, there's just these people laying around mm, and like no nurses or anything. Fuck. And then um, the next morning I finally I woke up and I was I looked up and there was a bloody like baboon right next on the windowsill. A baboon. A baboon, yeah. Like, a <laughs> and there's the 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 windows were grilled like they had the bars. But there was just a baboon sitting there. 
and you know when you wake up on a, on a good day like you're like okay where am I like yeah and I just woke woken up, up after all these druggies and just boom there's a baboon there <laughs> holy shit yeah I kind of didn't know what to make of him but isn't it weird it's like a weird thing I can kind of I can relate in a way I remember I was I did my knee in, when I was when we were sailing and I was in I was in Similu mm. and the closest hospital was in Nias Ooh. and so we had to sail where, where, to, where are these places so this is in Sumatra in Indonesia yeah and so we sailed down to Nias to the island chain of Nias and we went to um, fuck I forget the main town in Nias but we sailed into there and I went to the the hospital there mm. you know and and it, it reminds me of these stories because it's like any doctor here in Australia would have looked at my knee and, knee and been like, oh, okay, you've blown your MCL, you've ruptured this, you've done this, you know, like blah, blah, without even like an MRI just because of how it had swollen and how, I was, how it couldn't move and everything. These doctors were like, oh, yeah, we'll just – I remember they were just – they're just like, oh yeah, we'll just we'll just strap it up. It'll be fine. Like yeah, yeah. and it was actually travel insurance that flew me to Jakarta to get an MRI. But I was in this hospital, and it looked all right from the outside, but from the inside, it was just terrible. And it was just mm. a doctor. No one even really looked at my knee. They were just I just told them. They're like, oh yeah. But while I was in there, again, there was like bodies laying around me. And I remember while I was in there, I heard this screaming. I'm sitting there talking to these two nurses and a doctor in the fucking emergency room like in through there and there's this suddenly all this screaming erupts behind me and I look over and there's this young girl laying on a hospital bed and her family screaming around and crying and I was like what's happening over there and they're like as casual as day Mm. they're like oh that girl just died and I was like what and they're like yeah drug overdose happens all the time and I was like Jesus what do you mean I was like, what, over there? And they're like, yeah, so your knee, we'll just, we'll just strap it up. I was like, is, is, do you need a resuscitator? Like, yeah. what's happening? They're like, oh, no, 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 she's just overdosed on drugs, happens all the time. And I'm like, just, like, nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting there like, what the fuck? I've just had, like, she was like a 16-year-old girl, died, Yeah. like, 15 metres from me. That's Her a- family is sitting around screaming and there's a doctor and two nurses in front of me that are trying to talk to me about my blown knee and they're like, oh no, it's okay, we'll just strap it. No, nothing. There's there was no, just nothing. There's no care in the world that yeah, someone no, that's... Lit- yeah. yeah, but even their, their, their medical advice to me with my, my knee was all completely wrong. Mm, mm, you know what I mean? It, was, foot, it yeah. was terrible advice. I was just like, oh yeah, we'll just do this. And, and I've been to actually the most amazing doctor i've ever been to was a yeah. witch doctor you know <laughs> in indonesia like in some little village he was the guy that sorted me out the most when i yeah. blew my ankle out but oh, i'm gonna hear these stories afterwards all right, all right. Yeah. I can, yeah okay yeah, well, but i can kind of relate to what you mean about like the doctors like you no, know but, you go on to see a doctor but like they just don't have the training there or awareness or it's just like they're so used to just like the minimal training or attention for these scenarios and just like yeah but the point you make like it's I think mainly because you can aff- you're they're going to get money out of you or they know you're going to pay f- for it like where er- everyone else in the in the clinic or the hospital just can't afford whatever they're after so that's why that's just as soon as I went in there they were like top priority was dealing with me even though they didn't know what to do yeah so 
Yeah, like this Westerners come in. Like, is this costing a lot for for, yeah, for you bills. guys at the time? Because <laughs> you've gone to like six different clinics at this stage. I think that they didn't cost too much. Like the big one was the ambulance ride. He charged five hundred bucks on a, on a five minute ride. Like, like, and we're like Jeez. trying to ask, and like you can't do much. Like, yeah. kind of, can't argue. Like, yeah. But so five hundred bucks is my mate got knocked out. It's at a lot of money over there. Yeah. It cost him thirteen grand for like a. He didn't even go to the hospital. The ambulance just came down and checked him over, mm. and it cost him thirteen grand. <laughs> I think the whole adventure <laughs> tallied up at the end, but yeah, you know, get take our travel insurance. Okay, so this this next wave is hit. Mm. Okay, so you're going to this Russian doctor. Yeah, and um, fortunately, she actually knew a shit. Like, she really, I think she dealt with um, locals who had been um, stung by scorpions before. And she just knew the drill. I mean, she's like, look, there's not much you can do. I mean, you've had your antivenine and um, you just got to let the um, venom run its cycle through your body. And yeah, like just keep hydrating, elevate your leg and um, that, that'll be it. Had you been staying hydrated or had you had that advice from the other doctors? No, no. Like the other lady was pouring hot water, which was increasing the circulation yeah. around the body. Just making it worse. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking when, <laughs> when you said that before. And I was like, yeah, blood flow. That's just going to make a pump around your body. Yeah. Yeah. So I camped there for about three days or four days. Still in extreme pain? I think day three, it's it really it started to ease. It just finally um started to come back to normal a bit. So I was just in this this clinic and felt a lot more uh, safe about the whole thing like I knew like she knew what she was talking about so then I could start to relax and just okay I'll stay put here for as long as I need and um my brothers and Richard took the van and they started heading towards Nairobi so they went on with on the journey without you (laughs) yeah they left us there (laughs) those dogs yeah they bastards they they went they went because they had Richard had a, a not enough time. Like he had to get the van back to start his because all these volunteers were flying in. Yeah, fair enough. Like yeah, and they hooked it. They went from they hit the road hard. Like just drove non-stop. So what was their plan then to continue on and then what pick you up on the way back? No, they left us there. We we're gonna. You had to find your own way. Yeah, well, we ended up flying home. I was there in Livingston for four days, just recovering. I remember. <laughs> I was there for two days on my own, just get, just um, recovering, because they didn't have any food in the hospital, so Dad would have to, he was staying in the backpackers, and he'd bring me, you know, like, different bits of food every day. <laughs> they didn't have food in the hospital? Nah. They didn't even have... Yeah. Um, Actually, like, I suppose... I think the hospitals run on a jenny, like, the, a generator. Yeah. Like, they didn't even have electricity throughout the whole day. So, yeah, you take things for granted, for sure. Yeah. And this old bloke came into the hospital who was... A, he was um, from Zim, an old farmer, and he'd had like a, um, an epileptic fit. And uh, <laughs> I still remember, like they raced him in, like he just had a seizure or something. And they, he woke up and they say, what, because they want to test if he's, if he's okay. And they're like, what day is it? And he's like, the day after yesterday, like snapped at them. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up becoming best chums with him and he started, you just got to know him from your hospital bed, like, and he gave me all this biltong, like... It's like the beef jerky. Yeah, the South African beef jerky. Yeah, and we just chowed on that for days and got to know each other. <laughs> right. That was, that was good. Um, so, you, <laughs> I, it's just funny because you, like, you take off on this epic adventure and you just... Well, I suppose you got your adventure. Mm. But so what... Did you 
fly, like when it was all done, did you fly back to your dad's place, which was going to be... We flew from, um, we saw the um, Vic Falls, we, I saw it on a, a wheelchair, <laughs> like this guy rolled me out there on a, on a wheelchair and it was pissing down with rain, but I just wanted to see the falls, because that's it's quite an, one of the most beautiful things in the world, because I've been back there. Yeah, Victoria Falls is insane. And so, got to see that. But yeah, the trip, we had kind of lost the... I mean, we knew the others had gone on, so we're just like, all right, we'll fly fly back to Kenya. But Dad was quite exhausted after all of that, because <laughs> taking a toll on him, right? I remember there was... We went out to, like, to lunch in the town there, and he'd come in and he'd tell me all these little stories that he'd been up to for the last four days, because he was, you know, like a little... Just trying to do all the touristy stuff on his own. And he's like, oh, I went out to dinner last night and this charity, there's this orphanage that were running a um, a restaurant. And so I went there and had a meal there and and then he took me there and it was great. But then he took me out to lunch the next day and this lady's, <laughs> on, her, on her shirt, she had like a name tag. It said charity. And I was like, oh, like he's taking me back to the charity place. And I'm like, and then he just, he started crying. Like he's lost it because her name was charity but i thought oh, but <laughs> i thought, thought you're at the charity yeah and he just like he thought it was hilarious because you know in africa they have these beautiful names like blessings or god willing or forgiveness and this girl's she's a lovely girl but her name was charity <laughs> so i just assume we're back at the charity cafe Did- and he just lost like he he thought it was hilarious but he started crying like i think he'd just been spent like had no energy left and and he was just done funny. so he was actually like tearing <laughs> just like half out of joy but relief i was okay i don't know so how how long did it take you to come back from normal from from when that first scorpion first mm. bit you to when you when you were just normal again when you could walk uh probably off i was on in the wheelchair and then on crutches probably in a week five days i was walking again and it was all fine yeah just back to it just had to do it cycle 100% normal after that. Yeah, a little bit. Holy <laughs> shit. So, like, don't get bitten by a scorpion. So, basically, okay, moral of the story. You get bitten by a scorpion, get some anti-venom into you, and yep. then you're in for a painful ride of days. Yeah, well, I think it depends on what type, because some of them might be as poisonous as others. Yeah, but five days of agony, mm. like screaming and rolling around in pain, from a freaking, that's so tiny as well. Yeah, it's such a small animal, but, jeez, they can pack a punch. Yeah. Do you get scared? Okay, in Kenya, do you just, like, will you go out at night to a bar by yourself? Uh, <laughs> is that a thing you do? Like, say there's, like, a bar, like, in, like, some back, like, village or something. Is that, is it a thing that you can, you can do? Like, is it, are you oh. comfortable to do that? Or is it, like, that type of danger that it's fine if you play by the rules but don't go down that street or don't yeah. go to this bar or like well nairobi they call it no robbery i think the most dangerous city in africa is joburg um, johannesburg yeah in south africa yeah but nairobi comes in a, i think second because there's there's a lot of gangs in nairobi but honestly like it's safe as well like i've been out partying with my brother in, in nairobi and you go to normal bars like you would in australia do you see many white people, or is it yeah, all? There's, look, there's Nairobi's a, a big centre in Africa. Like the the UN headquarters are there, um, 
and it's quite modernised, like there's shopping malls and everything. So it's quite normal city. There's just extreme poverty as well. Like the largest yeah. slum in Africa, Kabira, is in the in the heart of Nairobi, and yeah. it's I think it's like one one million people in the space of um, Central Park. Shit. Yeah, compressed in. So and it's a, one big slum. Where do they do? You, okay, when I think like where do they shit? Where they do have, they go to the toilet? They have these things called flying toilets. So they do have compostable toilets, whatever, like just drop pits. And then, but not have obviously a million people. How do you deal with human waste and all that? So they they shit in like a, a plastic bag and just throw it into the drains on the edge. Because we've been into that Kibera a lot, just trying to help the community there. And my younger brother's, maybe I could give him a plug on this podcast. Yeah. He started a non-for-profit called the Nice Coffee Co. So he sells coffee here in Australia, and with with the funds that he gets, complete he's a social enterprise. And then the funds he takes the funds into that Kibera, into that slum, and he's um, refurbishing schools. So he's built refixing school classrooms and trying to improve the quality of education in that community. Because it's pretty dire there, like yeah, the basic. I'm guessing they wouldn't have aren't. really many medical, like they wouldn't have medical, like it's a million people in the size of Central Park. Central Park is big, but not for a million people. No, no. But so, so what? So what? There's drains on the outside, and so a million people what shit into plastic bags and throw it in the drain. So then there's plastic pollution. Mm. There's human waste. So uh, like you'd think disease would just run through that place. Yeah, like it's rife with disease, and a lot of kids probably don't even make it past the age, of, like I don't know, six. And so there'd be starvation in there. Oh, because uh, I think, yeah, like there's probably chronic malnutrition. How would people get money? Just or is it all like just like how do the people that live mm. in this slum? get money to feed themselves well it's kind of like um it kind of runs on itself like, like it's a little its own economic little, yeah it's got its, and there's rich people in there like there's there's doctors and lawyers in there and there's <laughs> but that's where they grew up and that's what they know i wouldn't call them rich sorry but like they there's success to, like yeah people who don't have to be there that choose to stay there because that's all they know and that's where their family lives and then there's like it's a wild place. There's people... Like, this one bloke decided he'd... Because a lot of them don't have electricity, but he's, he connected to the mains. Like, he's he connected lines from their little huts, little shacks, to the main power line. Because they're on the edge of a city, so there's all the... Yeah. The electricity grids are set up. And he tapped into the main line, and then he started like this... He just started wiring up to local shacks, and he started... um charging households like just (laughs) monthly electricity bills (laughs) like a million people he wired like a lot of that i don't know how many homes now have electricity but apparently because just talking to people i know in there apparently he's just like super successful that's like hardcore entrepreneurship (laughs) he's just gone and provide electricity to all these well if you think about it if there's a million people in there you're going to have like think about the arts. Like I think that's what a lot of people don't realize about slums, or we or f- we forget. It's like there's that's still people in there. There's still culture. Mm. There's still like passions. There's still dreams. Like people have dreams. It's like I, I had a mate here um, working out in Nauru, mm. which is for our um, 
How would you describe Nauru for people that aren't Australian? Um, it's our well, refugee it's a, camp. It's a detention centre. Det- yeah, yeah, detention centre. And he, and he was out there working with the kids, and he actually became an activist for it. Okay. Like, trying to... But he was saying, like, the kids out there, some of the kids were just, like, brilliant. You know, like, mm. artists. And he... He's, he's a musician himself as well as a teacher, my friend Spencer, but he said he started um, one, one, of this, one of the kids was an amazing rapper and he was like doing music with this guy and he mm-hmm. said like, he said they were just normal people. They had passions and they had dreams and they had, you know, those things that they were good at, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I was like, when you get a million people in a slum like this, yeah, I, I suppose they're suppressed. They don't have the opportunities that other people have, but like there's still that... In there, you're still going to find amazing people. Oh, certainly. Yeah. You know what I mean? People that have ex- extra, no- how do you, extra, extraordinary? I can't even say the word. <laughs> extraordinary. extraordinary. Yeah, that's, that's why I that word. People that have extraordinary, extraordinary like talent. Yeah. yeah. And the, some of these kids they just have extreme drive to want to learn. Like, What's the most upsetting poverty thing you've seen in Africa? Yikes. It's funny. I know the exact moment, actually. I'm just going to spray some mosquito spray. Like some? it's... Yeah. Spray it straight in my face. It's just gone dark down here on the lake. The mosquitoes are coming out. Not that we want to kind of glorify poverty or anything, but like, yeah, well, I'll just cut to the chase. Like, I was on that that trip with the rugby folks in 2014, and we pulled into like just a service station. This was in South Africa. And as we've headed further south, South Africa becomes a bit more... It's an interesting country, like, for anyone that's been there. It's a big disparity between developed and non-developed. And, like, as you further south you head, you kind of notice it's Africa becomes a bit more westernised. Anyway, we pulled into a, a service station. We bought, like, literally like you would here in Australia, bought our pies and stocked up and our chalky milks and all that. And we hopped back in the car and then I just noticed this, this lady going through the bin like with someone had thrown the rubbish in the bin just going through the bin i mean that probably happens here in australia as well but she pulled the food out onto the ground just scraps or whatever she could find and her the nature of her behavior she was literally acting like the way the best way i can describe it without a don't want to try and dehumanize her but she was acting like a like a like a chicken like her behaviors were like and i think like I don't know whether her brain had not developed prop like she could have had all sorts of something had happened to her or yeah but the way she was acting was more animal than human and to see that like she was so desperate for food like and my mate took a pie to her like just a meat pie and she went up to him like she was afraid and she hadn't had any contact with humans before she like grabbed it and then ran away and started like ripping into it like a dog would now she was obviously desperate for food but just to see those behaviors and see someone act like that goes so far into the primitive mind well the thing is we drove away and um my mate the irish bloke started bursting into tears and he'd been traveling through africa for six months and he'd seen a lot of this sort of stuff but that that one moment just threw him over the edge you're seeing that yeah i'd seen stuff like that before but that for some reason that and it will always stick with me, I think, was just seeing someone like that in that situation, so desperate for something. Wow. Like, and 
probably the people around her where she lives are just so numb to it. Mm. You know what I mean? And she is just this bin, bin chicken. That yeah, they, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they've probably gone numb to it and not... I don't know. It's like I've seen poverty around the place and you you just... I don't know. It's just so... I can... Okay, human beings are an animal. Like, mm. we're an animal. We forget that. But it's like, I suppose, if you strip yourself of everything and that primitive mind comes back mm. and then you even go deeper into that where you're so desperate. It's like we see that in movies when someone's, like, deserted on an island. That's how they portray that person on a movie. When the person comes to give them food, it's like, or that person that's, like, the in solitary confinement. You know, like they're there and they've got a big beard and, and mm. the long hair and they're, they're scared and yet they open up the door and give them food and the, the person runs up in the, in the movie, grabs the food and runs into the corner yeah, like yeah, cowering yeah. and like eating the food because there's no trust there. It's you know, they've gone back into... Saw, yeah. yeah, they've gone back. It's like... Wow. Yeah, I don't know. Like, perhaps maybe like they just hadn't... Her brain hadn't fully developed because of lack of um, nutrients. nutrients or... Yeah, but that's... Is that why you've become an activist yourself? Is that why you have that compassion and that drive to try and help with these and that and why you're involved in the char- in the charity? What's the, the podcast that you're working on? Yeah, so that's... Uh, it's called Young Changemakers Podcast. Through my links to Kenya and I, we want to start up a... Because we've got it on our property there, we've got a small farm. So you want to get some of those kids from that community in Kibera... And just start to educate them in, like, uh, environmental awareness and... Yeah. Well, we've got a farm there, so, to, I mean, sustainable agriculture and um, regenerative agriculture, those sort of principles, I think, is important for for youth in, in Africa in general because... Teaching them how to feed themselves. Yeah, and they, they all know how to feed themselves. Like, a lot of them grew up tilling the soil when they're eight years old, like... Yeah. But as they shift away, because... Um, the rising population in Africa and it's all urbanisation is a big thing everyone's moving towards cities like Nairobi then they're getting in places like Kibera to look for work and look for opportunities but that's not really where it lies Yeah. so I kind of want to continue to um, ignite that spark in uh, the agrarian sort of like agriculture is the way to go forward in Africa Yeah. you need to be self-subsistent you need to you know agriculture is going to build the communities yeah so that's a big part of yeah. Anyway, I got I went to this um this youth summit in Switzerland, which was like an education. Um, we did a lot of workshops on um, how to build a you know so, um, your platforms because a lot of the other kids were doing um a, sort of social entrepreneurship and activism. And away from that, I um thought, well, what can I keep doing to keep these conversations going forward? And myself and a few other mates started a podcast series for that organisation. It's called uh, Young Change Makers, so you can check us out. Yeah, nice. Yeah, we're under the second season. Is that on Spotify? Do you guys publish that on Spotify and iTunes as yeah, well? Yeah, I think it's on all platforms. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Young Change Makers podcast. Hey, I've got a question. And the, the, the network's called The Global Change Makers, if the you gl- want to find them. The Global yeah. Change So, I've got a question for you. From what you've seen... In Africa, how would you, what's, okay, so the average person living in Australia or say America or living in the West, you know, that is as privileged as we are, how do you 
how would you describe what you've seen in Africa? Just like if you had to quickly just describe someone that was like, you, you know, it's like it's like out of sight, out of mind. Mm. But like when you travel, like you see these things, and yeah, it gets yeah. and like you were just saying these stories, it's like it's put straight in your face. Mm-hmm. Like how do you describe that to people that it's real? Like that there is this much poverty that it's just like, yeah. I don't, I think Australians are traveling a lot more and more, so it's not like, like it's a, we're a lot more aware of the privileges we have, obviously. Um, but we, it tends to slip. But yeah, traveling and getting out to developing world and engaging local communities, it's important to keep this like keep yourself real, like, and not yeah. just closed in this bubble that we can we can tend to get trapped in in, you, in the West. Do you ever? I, I know the the hardest thing for my uncle. My uncle um, looked after 40 orphans in Indonesia and, like, put them through school and he started, like, a, a lodgement pretty much. Like, he had, like, a whole heap of bungalows up in the east coast of, of Bali. Yeah. And the kids wow. would run it. Yeah, right. And, like, cook for the guests and everything. And, like, that paid also anything that was made was paid for their schooling. Mm. But, like, you wouldn't, you know, like, you'd order eggs and get, like it, it, you know, it was, it was like his way of like teaching the kids, and like it, they're all orphans and, and kids that are like okay. from, you know, that had been kicked out of their villages because their oh, their family couldn't afford to feed them. Yeah, but his hardest challenge was, he was there doing such good for the village. Anyone that was like in trouble, like he built homes for like the old. He built homes for people that didn't have anything he looked after all these orphans but he still just got looked at as a white person with money okay even though he didn't have that much money he did everything that he could from his heart to help these people and all they still did Mm. and me seeing this throughout the years was just scam him like the police would rock up all the time and like want money for this and they would make up random things (laughs) that like now that he has to pay for and i remember getting so frustrated and so angry because he was there helping them. Yeah. And even the kids would like steal money off him and stuff. And I remember him saying to me one time, like, oh, as if you never like, you know, stole money off your parents or something, you know, blah, blah. He would like make light of the situation. Yeah. I'd be like, and I'd be like, yeah, but the, like this village, the village still here is still like trying to get as much, get their cut out of you. Even though like you're still mm. helping the kids, they're trying to get their cut. And he's like, he's like, I, I don't do it for me. Mm. You know what I mean? He's like, I, I know, I understand that. Like, he's like, that's the... He, I just remember him saying, he like, see, he's like, you don't help someone for it to help you. He's like, you help someone because they need it. He's yeah. like, it's out of the compassion of your own heart to do what's good for them. And he's like, I know, like, the corruption and, and that throughout here. But he's like, that is... Li-. I just remember explaining that that's mm. like that for a reason. But he's it like, these kids like are he's still... Got, he's got solid principles and he knows, like, sure certain people are going to see me as a dollar sign. But he's a- able to sort of figure that out and I'm like, I'm here for... For a good reason, I'm yeah. gonna stick to it. It was like it was like it was like kind of part of the cost mm. for him mm. to look after these kids that pretty much broke his heart to see how they were growing up in their living situation. He's like, all right, well, I think for him it was like to help these, and and I saw the change because he he's passed away now, but you know I saw him look after these kids for like ten years, and mm. 
Not even 12 years. And so Jeez. to see kids yeah. from like six, seven, eight years old, like, like skin and bone with their ribs sticking out to suddenly like growing up and like having muscles and go through school and becoming yeah, like men, you know yeah. what I mean? You're like, wow. And they were just like kids living on That's the street incredible. with sores all over them and, and, you know, and he was able to help him and, and he kept that in his heart. And I remember like for me helping him and going over there and being part of it, I had a lot of like frustration Did at you times. get over there to, to visit it? Yeah, I was there all the time. Okay. We we got all the kids surfing. We got a whole heap of surfboards donated from Australia. I was a big part of it. Yeah. But I still just remember like it getting I just remember getting so frustrated like being my uncle, my uncle was he had leukemia. He was mm. really sick and like bedridden. Mm. And you know, I'd be like be over there to help him and then like you'd have the village chief come in or someone come in and they'd be like oh we've got a new tax uh that just came out and you, yeah. you have to pay for this it's um and it'd be like why and he'd be like no well, we need two grand because you and just make something up and you'd be like what yeah no there isn't they're like oh okay well just give us 1500 and you're like what are you talking about you know mm. what i mean so here's his also so used to that though yeah he yeah, was so used to life, me coming yeah. in and i'm like he's helping your yeah, kids you know yeah. he's He's looking after the son that you couldn't feed. How they're not appreciative. Yeah. But it was like, he he was always like, it's not about being appreciated. It's about Mm. like just helping from your heart. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's funny you say that because my dad's been through the same, the same sort of trials, learning experiences. Corruption's rife all through Africa and you can be taken for advantage, but it's just, yeah, you got to kind of, you got to understand have perspective yeah i think yeah, it's coming sure. from a pure heart i and i never understood it i remember it clicked for me he said when i was about 20 years old i remember him telling me he he saw that a fam he had some money and he saw a family of four their house burnt down and they had no insurance and they were homeless this was in australia and and he anonymously sent them money mm-hmm. and quite a bit of money and i remember saying to him like why didn't you give them your name so they can thank you? And he's like, well, because I didn't do it for me. Mm. I was like, but then they could have at least thanked you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why wouldn't you? He goes, no, then they'll feel like they owe me. Yeah, it's right. like, I didn't do it for yeah. me. I, I did it because they needed it. And I was yeah. like, yeah, but you can't. Now you, ne- you they got to thank you. And I never understood it until like maybe I was like 25 or 26. And I suddenly had this like life realization moment. What are you saying about compassion, about helping people from your yeah. heart? And suddenly realizing, and him saying, you don't do it for yourself. You know, you do it for them. And, you know, anonymously someone just helped them. They didn't feel like they owed anyone anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? He literally just did it from love. And that was pure love because he didn't do it from his ego needing validation. Yeah, yeah. Not that it's bad for other people to do that, but he just, it was so pure of heart. And I suddenly finally realize that and it took me like five years to realize Mm. that i just was confused i knew that must have been the better way to do things but i didn't understand why and one day it just clicked of like the purest of heart that you're not doing for any validation any recognition just doing it just to help yeah i guess he just had that complete um a lot of people get a kick out of helping other people and he he realized that on uh, early on and as he developed that orphanage he must have seen a real fulfilling purpose and i think that's what most people lack who may may be struggling is that purpose that's what i I, i'm not trying to make sense of the world or anything but if there's anything if people just want purpose don't they but if you're if you're actually helping other people that's hell of a purpose to have isn't it yeah i haven't find that about this podcast some of the messages i get just of how like 
people are inspired by it. Mm. And you're like, wow, okay, thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll keep doing it. For, like it's no, like it's now awesome. I know it's like it has an impact on people. And you're yeah. Like, wow. It's like, and I would never have thought that. But yeah, all right, dude. We've been talking for an hour and forty five minutes. It's actually gone dark down here in the lake. I can't even see the lake anymore. There's <laughs> a lake out there. Mosquitoes are coming out. But thank you so much. Jumped. Wild story. I'm glad. I'm glad you made it out. <laughs> what a, I, you like it, when you talk about it, it's just normal traveling through all these countries. But the thing is, like when you think about it, that's crossing all these borders, going through all these countries. That's way wilder than than what people like than how you put it, man. It's like you're yeah. traveling through. Well, these. Africa's not a scary place, and unfortunately, I just end up like I don't want to portray a bad picture of Africa because it's, yeah. it's beautiful there and. More Aussies need to get out there and explore it, or anyone for that matter, because people have hearts of gold and the nature and the landscape. It's like nowhere else. Yeah, yeah. Get out there and do it. I've, I've, heard, I've actually heard nothing but good things. All right, man. All right, cheers, George, Thanks so much for coming on, and good luck. <laughs> good luck, man. Thanks so much. No dude. more scorpions. No more scorpions. That's it. So if you like this episode, please feel free to share it and leave a rating. And if you have or know of anyone with a wild story, please get in contact with me through my Instagram, Aaron underscore Shanks, or the website, diariesofthewildones.com, because I'd love to sit down over a beer or a coffee and hear it. I do it like a double.